Uh, hey, Mike. Hey. Welcome to uh, the show. The show. We haven't done the show for a while. No, it's been... One, the last one was NAV? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Oh. Sorry. Yeah. I'll take the blame. It is your fault. Why is it your fault? Uh, I traveled for a while. No, that's true. And I'm also, you know, lazy. Mm, true. Very true. So, uh, what's new? Uh, let's see. You're going to be out here in a couple of days. I am. Two days. It's WWDC. Yeah. Woo. The Worldwide Developers Conference. Apple's big developer event. Yeah. This uh, should be a big year, I think. I don't know. It's uh, uh, yeah, I can't. I don't, yeah. I mean, it's, you know. It's going to be a huge year for video APIs, I'm suspecting. Probably. I think they're um, doing Sequence Grabber 2. Yeah. Uh, they're just going back. Um, a lot of Pascal. And, mm-hmm. uh, yes, Pascal strings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I realized that was really the right way to go. Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, as we experienced what last year, though, I mean, a lot WWDC is, I think, con- gotten continually more and more on message in a lot of ways um, over the last couple of years. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, okay. You know, like it's for, for, for a specific message, which doesn't. Which isn't targeted towards us, yes. Well, I guess, I no, I mean a little more broadly that it's less and less a um, sort of general Apple show. And it's really, it is focused for developers. It just, you know, is mostly focused for iOS developers. But, um, you know, we're going to see a new version of iOS and a new version of OS ten. Yes, previews of them. Right. Um, and presumably lots of... Lots of new APIs and excitement there. Um, we'll see new laptops, I think, pretty definitively. Definitely. Pretty definitely. Pretty probable. Probable. Probably probably. probable. Probably. Pretty probably. <laughs> Did she sell seashells by the seashore? Um, and we might see new Mac Pros. Uh, yeah, we might. Do you think we will? I don't know. So, I mean, there's been lots and lots of um, talk about it because there's been a few new clues that they are definitely doing it. Um, But those are also the same clues that they just gave up and don't want to make it anymore, which seems as likely. Well, I mean, I I know I know Tim gave his word. Yeah. That, that it was very important for the company to keep making them, but... I hear it's going to be a great machine to run the new version of Shake. Mmm, yes. Another another thing they promised they were working on. Um, I, I mean, like, in terms of the chances of it, it, assuming it does exist, the chances of it coming out next week, um, I think you would have to vote no given Intel's roadmap, but Apple could sort of, you know massage that a little bit by delaying shipping a bit and also getting Intel to give them the first chips off the line. Um, of the yeah, I mean, lines. I suspect that, so So the big issue is that Haswell, like... Whatever the Xeon... Intel this week. Well, right? and, and the ones that came out this week are not the ones they would use in the Mac Pro. Oh, they didn't They no. didn't ship any of the other, the bigger ones? No, the those six- don't come out till this fall. Oh, 
Yeah, that changes things a little bit. So that's the issue. But, you know, if Apple announced that they were shipping in August and got, you know, the first round of chips, they might be able to... Or if they're switching to ARM 7, <laughs> they have those chips right now. They, they do, yeah. That's probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, if they were cool, I mean, think how many you could slap in a machine and not burn out a 15 watt power cord. <laughs> Um, Which is really all the, you know, that was the major constraint for a Mac Pro. Yeah. Oh, God, remember on, like, the quad G5s that they had the special cord? I still have that. Yeah. It's the square Molex instead of the, what's the other one? Dodecaheat? What's the? Yeah, um, it's yeah. like a pen. It's a pen. No, it's not. It's like it's a. five cents. Wait, one? It has six. No, it has. Yeah. Four, five. Six, yeah, six. It's just what like, are those called? Hexagons? It's like a little house. Yeah. Like a barn. Yeah, it's because a, barn, it's got a flat it's roof. It's a little barn. Yeah, it's like the Luke The barn house. connector, as it's often referred to. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, you know, the, the counterpoint to what I just said is that if Apple is going to make a new Mac Pro, WWDC time is the best time to announce it. Um, yes. They will have 5,000 of the 5,070 people who give a shit anymore. Yeah. Room. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, there's, um, rumors on Mac rumors today that, you know, it will be sort of what we've speculated in the past as a very modular sort of Thunderbolty plug and play magic box. The Mac mini maxi. Right. Yeah. You want to expand it. You slap on a Thunderbolt thing. Um, so okay here's so let's let's because this is boring because they're not going to ship anything but um let's design a computer for them with our imaginations there's i mean so there's no way you can add a processor right that's what i'm wondering i think you could i but i mean even thunderbolt 2 isn't fast enough Oh, you're saying like to interconnect with RAM and stuff? Right. What if every single one has its own set of RAM? And then how does the OS handle that? Um, I don't know. I mean, there are machines that have done that, like some of them I mean, in the supercomputing space. It could be a replacement space. for like InfiniBand, yeah. Yeah, and you know, where the OS is booted and you can actually add a CPU and the OS is like, hey, cool. Um, I mean, I think the way it would have to work is they were like, We'd have to bring back like XGrid. Yeah. And really get developers on board. Or just, I mean, you know, they have a lot of that sort of, you know, they have an, an abstraction API now in OpenCL. Oh, and GCD. And GCD. I mean, they could just, it could be that you have your main computer, and if you plug in another computer, all it gets, all it does is, um, acts as a GPU and CPU compute cores for OpenCL. Yeah. I think, you know, just RAM speed makes that problematic uh, without really refactoring applications to... Right, but OpenCL is designed for, like, all, I suppose, all yeah. crazy multi-level cache hierarchy problems. Yeah. I mean, it will move data 
it'll try to keep problems that's localized to memory spaces. And I mean, all of that, that that's built into the API right now. You can actually instrument things out so that that works the proper way. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's not inconceivable that they could make that work. Yeah. Um, I don't think that would ever make more sense than just allowing an infinite number of GPUs to get plugged in. Yeah, and I also think it's, I mean, it's 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 probably more engineering investment than they would be willing to do in this product because it wouldn't let them use off-the-shelf Intel hardware. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. So what's modular then? Drives? Yes. Drives, PCI slots. Right. For some, some PCI cards. Yeah. Unless, I don't, I mean, is it possible for them to do that at the driver level? At like the IO kit level so that anything, so that we're not waiting on driver sets for this? Oh, I would imagine they could. I mean, the, if especially if they build their own PCI box. Right. So for their PCI box. Yeah. Hmm. But I mean, they I also mean, control. They probably don't want that. Would they? I mean, they're, they want people to give up on PCI. They want people to design new white plastic right. fender devices in this world. But they, I mean, they want people to, I mean, it would really just be for GPUs. Yeah. Um, unless they can get NVIDIA to make one of those white plastic boxes. Or for they them. make one and rebrand it. I mean, they've sold right. GPUs standalone in the past. Yeah. I mean, I guess they've always been a large purchaser of OEM GPUs. Yeah. I mean, that would be so interesting. they could do that. I mean, that would be interesting. Um, I still want them to move to a model where they stick a giant GPU in every cinema display they sell. Yeah. Um, and that seems really doable. Absolutely. I mean, so, okay, but so right now, I mean, we start running into bus problems at some point, right? Well, so you have two channels of right now 10 gigabits each uh, symmetric. Right, so that's twenty gigabit. What's a what's a PCI three GPU running at right now? Like ten or twenty yeah. or thirty, yeah. right? Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I mean, I don't think a ton of apps use that. Um, I mean, beyond bursting, right? But you definitely need you, you would need Thunderbolt two to match a modern PCI bus. Yeah, but I mean, I you know, part of me wonders how much of that is solving a problem that we're not exactly solving anymore. Um, you know, it used to be that you did a lot of pre-processing to get your data as parallelizable as possible on the CPU, and then you uploaded that giant chunk of stuff to the GPU. Whereas now with, you know, with these programmable, you know, compute units on these cards, it's less important that you do things like, you know, you could conceivably upload, you know, you, all your textures in the compressed format that you like to save them in on the CD-ROM and, you know, uncompress them into texture memory on the GPU. Yeah. And so some of these interconnect problems become less of an issue because there's because the GPU doesn't need to rely on the CPU for some of these problems it used to have to. I mean, 
30 gigabits is a lot. Yeah. Who uses that? Well, and I think, I mean, I mean so for Scopebox, we can push like 4K video to a card plus, you know, all of our various palettes, which are not, you know, which are like, you know, the width of 4K by 1024. Right. We do like, you know, seven of those and we're doing those 30 or 60 frames a second. Like, yeah, I mean, I think that's it's not an insignificant amount of bandwidth and we're doing that right now. No, I think, I think the issue is more so it's, it's not that you can't, you know, draw to the screen enough. It's that if you're using GPU compute and you have compute resources on the card, you want to make sure they're never starved for data. And I think right. you could potentially get into a case where, where that happens. Right. But I mean, you're already dealing with transfer latency. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, there are lots of problem sets that don't lend themselves to GPU compute because of that um, already. And I don't think it would be a huge problem for most people if we took a small step backwards in that area. Yeah. I mean, I I sort of agree that you, you want to upload a small amount of data, churn a lot on it, and then hopefully just draw it up to the screen and never download it again. Yeah. I suspect that the demand for multiple GPUs and things like that in the Mac Pro is overrepresented. That you know, it, it, I think it's more important that you have some capability to swap the GPUs down the line. Um, right. But, I mean, where where it gets useful is when you have these giant screens. Right. You know, and you you don't say want the power architecture of the sort of GPU that can power a nice looking retina 27 inch in every laptop you ship. Yeah. Um, and you don't want this situation where only some of your computers can drive, you know, your most expensive product Yeah. because you want everyone to have one. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I would, I would love to see it, you know, not so much for my own desk, but just, I want one for my desk. Yeah. Hmm. I'm much more interested in a 4K display. Yes. Actually, that's what I really want for my desk. So let's jump to that. Um, Asus right. at Computex in Taiwan this week showed off the first um, soon-to-be-shipping 4K display. So Computex is the... That's, that's been around for a long time, right? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, given the name. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, has that always been in Taiwan? I think so, yeah. Okay. So that's like the OEM version of um, CES or Comdex or Comdex. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of with the bad name. Yeah. Okay. And so it's a 4K display, and it's driven via HDMI or DisplayPort. DisplayPort. DisplayPort two. DisplayPort one, one point whatever. One point two. Yeah. 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 But not HDMI. Um, I think it may have an HDMI connector. I'm not sure. It gets confusing because DisplayPort and HDMI are so sort of interchangeable. Right. So the spec that added it for DisplayPort was 1.5. Okay. I think. Just, I thought it was DisplayPort 2 mm. added, but maybe not. I don't know. I didn't, you know. Get it mixed up with Thunderbolt 2. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was 1.2, but... You might be right. Um, let's see. But in any case, I mean, so right now you basically can't drive this with any 
computer that you might own um, if you own a Mac. Um, but the new Haswell chips that will be coming out in new Mac laptops next week uh, will support this. Hmm. Display port 1.2. Okay. And we're sure that they're going to be ready to ship that because they're not, they're not really constrained to display port versioning anymore. They're constrained to Thunderbolt versioning. Well, but I right. think, no, I think in turn, I mean, I mean, you know, the Haswell chipset, I, I mean, I, let me back up and say what, what supports this is Intel's new HD graphics, which is part of the Haswell chipset, which also implements Thunderbolt. So presumably it's all hmm. there. Uh, um, and so, Yeah. Starting with the new laptops next week, you should be able to drive this display. Then there's the question of, um, you know, will Apple make a cinema display at this res soon, or will it be down the line? Never. Uh, and w- you know, would they ship it as a 4K display, or would they ship it as a Retina display? Retina. Definitely so, Retina. So it's a. So right now it's 3840 by 2160. So it would be a. Uh, 2420 by or no a 19 oh 1920 by 1080 yeah <laughs> i know video which is, which is significantly smaller than than a 24 or 27 current 27 inch yeah which is 2560 yeah so they probably do the thing with the retina and then the half seas thing they like to do yeah i mean that's conceivable that would be a really hideously large like 1080 display yeah like that would not be usable as a computer right it's a so the asus panel is 31.5 <laughs> inches um and it's hmm. so it's 16 by 9 so it's you know in the same neighborhood as the old apple 30 inch since it's um a little bit shorter vertically Mm-hmm. Um, which was a big display, but not overwhelming. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I don't. I don't think it's coming next week. No, I, I agree. Um, I don't know anything about the panel that ASUS is using, um, and whether there are other people making the same panels or anything. There's like another that. company that's shipping a monitor too, called like Seiko. It's another. Asian company, Asian OEM, S-E-I-K-Y-O or something like that. Oh, okay. Vaguely rings a bell. Yeah. Um, Or at least has shown them. I don't know if they're shipping yet, but... So, it sounds like, I mean, there's definitely a vendor who can produce these in at least small quantities. Um, Hopefully, they are talking to Apple. Yeah, I mean, obviously for the video production industry, this would be a big deal. So what yep. do you have any sense um, more broadly in the video industry? Because we've had for years a bunch of different quote-unquote 4K resolutions floating around. Are people more or less settled on this 3840, you know, basically double 1920 in both or are there still Or is there still a lot of production happening at like 4096 by whatever and all these others? I don't know. Um, I think I think we all kind of agree that the Quad HD is going to be the delivery format. 
Okay. You know, that's, I think that's what everyone agrees Ultra HD is. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not even positive about that, though. But, I, you know, the cameras are kind of all over the board, I think, at this point, what they're shooting. Um, which has become less of an issue. I mean, you know, people have been shooting 3 and 4 and 5K for a while and just sort of, like, cropping as they need to. Yeah. It just... Um, you know, it would be a shame to not be able to view one-to-one -one pixels on your fancy 4K display. Well, yeah, you probably won't be able to for every camera. Yeah. Interesting. But that's okay, I think. Wow. Um, is there anything else you're really hoping for at WWDC next week in terms of announcements yes, from Apple? tons of things on the video side. Um, so they've been making the switch to AV Foundation. Um, and one of the things they added for us, I mean, so it's been a long, arduous process getting them to basically replace one-to-one -one the functionality they used to have in, in QuickTime, which has been gone for a while, or, or unsupported at least. Right, and it's 32-bit only. And blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and so last year they added one of the last pieces, um, which was capture and output support for third-party vendors. And then, uh, and the other big thing that was missing was a way to get to their encode decode pipeline. Um, before that, you kind of had to, they only exposed you know, their codec support through either, you know, interfacing with the camera and decompressing it into, you know, an uncompressed format or when writing to a QuickTime file, compressing it to a format. Um, and so, you know, the other big thing they added last year was something called the Video Toolbox, which sort of exposed that um, encode decode functionality. Um, so the thing I'm hoping to see this year is that they sort of continue on their, you know, one year we start doing something internally and the next year we add third-party support. So I'm hoping we see third-party codec support this year. Yeah. Which would be nice. Um, it would mean we could finally go back to getting DivX and all those other horrible things. Well, and, um, and I think that's, you know, Less interesting, but getting native DNX HD. Yeah, definitely. That's probably the biggest one. Um, you know, for and then for the specialty cami manufacturers like Red and other people to be able to implement native codecs as well. Right. Yeah. And I mean, once. Yeah, and even like I mean, I. You could even imagine situations where. People who who are stuck on QuickTime right now would start shipping their own codec packs internally just so that they could make the switch to AV Foundation. What do you mean? Um, you know, like, so... ClipRap, we have... Or, no, let's... So, for instance, let's take... Um, let's take Scopebox as an example. I mean, there are a few decode formats we need, which I don't think we can get at the moment. Um, 
Yeah, maybe we can. I mean, HDV, I guess we can get. Can't get. Uh, can't do DVC. D- can't do DVC Pro. I mean, mm, yeah. Not that it's a huge deal, but we could easily, you know, wrap that up in such a way that, you know, it's you know, the two options right now are spend a bunch of time doing this weird like rigmarole with background processes. Um, which everyone has to reinvent themselves. Um, whereas the other option would be install third-party codec packs, which I'm sure will be a solved problem pretty quickly after they announce it. Yeah. You know, so you go to FFmpeg or you go to, you know, whoever the new Perian's going to be. Right. And you get the three codecs you need and you put them in your bundle and you go from there. Yeah, that'd make a lot of sense. So that would be nice. Um, you know, I can imagine all sorts of nice, you know, if we, if you could plug stuff into a modern pipeline, there's lots of stuff you can start to think about doing, um, you know, that was possible back in the day with QuickTime, but QuickTime was such a mess on codec support and components and stuff that most, you know, you ended up, if you supported it, there were very few, you know, of the big applications that actually used them. Um, you know, you could do something like write your own codec and Final Cut would sort of like half use it mm-hmm. because they sort of half use QuickTime internally. Um, and so, you know, getting to a place where we can start thinking about those sort of things again, you know, would, you know, something like a Cineform codec or something like, you know, so to be able to have other codecs as first-class citizens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That'd be pretty cool. So that's, you know, in terms of new APIs you'd like to see. That's what I'd like to probably see. Probably the biggest thing. Uh, yeah. What else? I don't, yeah, I don't got much else. Yeah, I mean, How about you? What do you want? Um, I, you know, I would say OS X in general, I'm relatively happy with. Um, It'd be nice to see, you know, them continue to do, you know, power optimization and things on the storage side and other things. But um, I don't really know what to expect. There've been a lot of rumors that it's going to be pro-focused, but I'm not sure how much stock to put in that. What's pro-focused? The, the, the OS X update is going to be really focused what? at like power user features and like what? I don't really know. Huh. Um. I mean, it would make sense given the distinction they're drawing between sort of trucks and cars. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, anything on the developer side? I mean, presumably we're going to see a new Xcode. Um, we'll see. Yeah, we'll probably see new Xcode. I mean, they are frantically getting to locking stage on LLVM 3.3. So I suspect that will make its way into the Xcode that we either see this week we either get this week or we get previews of this week. And what are the big um, standout features in LLVM 3.3? Um, the biggest one is they're finally getting somewhere with auto vectorization um, to a point where it's like on by default. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Intel's been doing a lot of work with this. They've basically got an entire team which is just making advances on the LLVM compiler for this. And they're seeing like, you know, they're seeing speed increases on code that was not designed to be vectorized. 
you know, just general loops and stuff. Sure. Um, which is pretty slick. Um, and so hopefully that will continue. Hopefully that will be part of this. And do you have a sense, is that something that's, um, exists within like the .NET framework already or, or within the sort of Microsoft tool chain or would this be a big deal? Well, I don't know. I mean, it definitely exists within, um, what's the name of ICC, I think, Intel's compiler? Intel compiler components or core compiler? I mean, in you know, if you really care about this stuff, you use Intel's compiler, um, you know, especially on Windows. So I don't know how much it matters whether or not Microsoft themselves is supporting it. Sure. Hmm. Well, that'll be interesting. Um, you know, they've been doing some really cool stuff with LVM for the last few years. I wonder if Xcode changes will mirror that in terms of new interface builder stuff or other, other new bits of client coming into the development environment. Yeah, um, what else is new this year? Um, instance type, that's a big thing. That's, was that around last year? I don't, I don't remember. Um, I don't know when that made it into LLVM and if it's made into Xcode yet, but instance type is a new, it's a replacement for id. Oh, it's a right. variable type. And so it basically says the thing that I'm returning is the kind of class that I'm in this file right now. Um, so, yeah, so Objective-C is, for the most part, a typed language. Um, the only problem is that it has a messaging system which doesn't give a shit about type. Um, and so um, a, lot of, a lot of things happen at a very base level. And in order to make that work, um, you know, a lot of your, like, boilerplate code is passing around generic objects instead of typed objects, which means the compiler just can't do a lot of stuff you want it to do. Um, and so they've basically made a fake generic version of something now, which, you know, it's like a fake, it's a generic version of an object, but you tell the compiler to keep track of what type of object it really is. Um, so it, it's, yeah, it's good like that. Well, um, I guess we'll see on Monday. Yeah. Be, yeah. Cool. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to it. And if anyone's out there, let us know. We'll be around at all the different events. Yeah. Um, yeah, we don't have too much longer. Let's talk a little bit about ScopeLink. Yeah, still. absolutely. So that was the other um, big news from us this week. Yeah, so we released a new version of Scopebox, version 3.3, and it really only has one new feature, which is Scopelink. Um, and how, yeah, how would you describe Scopelink? So up until now, if you wanted to use Scopebox in a sort of post-production environment, um, you ran Scopebox on a separate Mac and plumbed your signal in via HDSDI or HDMI. Um, yeah, with a separate capture card. And so it really acted just like a hardware scope would. It sits on your desk as a dedicated scope, um, which was great and, you know, obviously still a lot better than shelling out 20K for a dedicated scope. But if you're on a laptop on the go or something, it's not realistic to bring a second computer around. And so what Scopelink lets you do is actually run Scopebox 
on the same computer as your editing program, um, at least for certain host programs, and Scopebox will be able to see your timeline in real time um, and actually you know, let you use your scopes on the same monitor, on a separate monitor, on the same computer without any special hardware. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so right now, so we shipped it sort of as quickly as possible. So, you know, we've done a lot of testing, but we we focused on the lowest hanging fruit as far as host support. Um, and for us, the obvious choice was Adobe Premiere and Adobe After Effects. And by making that choice, we got things like Prelude for free. Um, but the idea is support for, you know, After Effects has no scopes built in. I think I can safely say without offending anyone that Premiere has horrible scopes built in. Um, and so, you know, they seemed most in need of a monitoring solution. And also, you know, Adobe's the most developer-friendly company out there. And so yeah, was, by like orders of magnitude. Right. So it was really easy for us to, to implement this without a lot of, you know, contract talks and all that garbage. Um, and this is some, I mean, you know, I'd highly encourage people who are interested to take a look because it does feel a little bit magic. Um, and the, the way it works is pretty, pretty impressive, I think. Um, it's certainly something where if scope link is something you'd like to see with other hosts, let us know, but also let us know and let them know the yeah. other company, um, particularly if maybe it's, you know, um, an Australian company or are you taking apart? Like a, <laughs> I'm fi- okay. So here's what happened is I, I had this little hard drive sitting on my desk, this, um, Seagate 200 gig, uh, laptop drive or 500 gig laptop drive. And I noticed that the sticker on it, the label was on top of another label and so i peeled off the top label and interestingly it revealed underneath so it was a 500 gig drive underneath it revealed a sticker for a 250 gig drive with the apple logo on it and so it was like this must have been a drive that was or the at least the top case was reused from a you know an old drive huh very strange anyway sorry i'll stop fidgeting with it so yeah, so it's out, it's for Adobe, check it out, definitely. Um, you know, if you're doing broadcast graphics in After Effects for a large, like, broadcaster, tell them to buy a seat for everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's lots of uses for it where it didn't necessarily make sense to shell out for you know, scope box, and it definitely didn't make sense to shell out for a, you know, a hardware option for scoping. And so, yeah, we're, you know, we're excited about it. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty cool. Um, and it, it's pretty slick in terms of the way it works. Um, and I think, you know, and it's interesting, I think it's an interesting testament to how we do product design here. Um, because, Right after we shipped it, I started going through my code and looking at when we started this project. And the earliest reference I can find was like almost this time of year in 2008. So it's been a long time coming. And it wasn't, and you know, and we had shipping, you know, we like we had a working prototype, you know, within a month of starting it. Um, it was just, 
not, it was, it was a great proof of concept and a sort of horrible product. You're talking about the original scope link. Yeah. The original scope link. Right. You know, and it was just because of who, you know, it, it wasn't so much a technical problem as like who the available hosts were and how much we were able to support them without like hacking them and um, how they integrated with, you know, the QuickTime components we needed to use. And so, right. I mean, what, yeah, really- I mean, it's, it was a technical problem that we solved a long time ago and the product design problem took, you know, a very long time. Much of it wasn't spent like actively working on it. It was just like, this isn't worth shipping, you know, and then something would change and we'd look at it again and we'd say, mm, no, still not. Yeah. I mean, what really rebooted this was seeing how nice the development environment Adobe provided was. Well, and everyone moving to it and, you know, Premiere for a long time wasn't really, it wasn't really worth shipping a product that only supported Premiere um, as a, you know, as a first iteration. Whereas now, you know, just supporting Premiere and After Effects is like, you know, we're going to make a lot of people's lives better. Right. And then we'll move on to the other ones now. Well, very cool. So that's Scopelink, and it's free if you're already a Scopebox user. It's part of Scopebox 3.3, and there's a free trial on our website if you're not already a Scopebox user. Yeah. So take a um, Let's get to Chandra here. Yeah. Uh, what do you got? Um, I just wanted to quickly mention a project that I haven't used much, but that I'm always sort of following on the peripheral, which is processing. Yeah. The visual programming language. So they just shipped last week version two of the product, project, the thing, the experiment. Yeah. The sketch. I don't know what they want to call it. Probably sketch. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it's come a long way. It's definitely, you know, I remember in the early days, like they sort of sent you to an SVN thing and you were like, well, uh, um, well, but now they have like a downloadable code signed app that just runs. And so what do you know of people using processing for? I mostly know it in like the sort of installation art. Yeah, installation art, VJs, that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. But, you know, one of the things that I want to look at it more for is using it to sort of do early product design for, you know, we're in this position now with Scopebox where we're actually designing new scopes. Um, you know, to solve new problems. We're not just like, oh, let's make a, you know, let's make a new oscilloscope. Um, and so it seems, you know, it seems like it could be a nice way to very quickly iterate on an idea, you know, basically use it as a prototyping environment for sure, like uh, future palettes and scope box. Yeah, absolutely. A little bit, it provides a little bit more richer tool set than a quartz composer or something. Right. Well, then, I mean, the really nice thing is it's, you know, it's just so, you know, you like just change the code and it runs. Like you don't have to do anything. Whereas Quartz Composer is pretty easy to end up breaking things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. I, uh, I have often looked at it and aspired to have the time to 
get comfortable enough with it to actually like have fun in terms of the barrier to entry of sort of understanding how to use it and do interesting yeah. things. Java is the sort of the, the only thing about it that I'm not in love with, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, my chatter this week is just a link to a blog post from Virginia Tech, I think. Um, someone did some code and a sort of proof of concept thing about um, doing steganography, hiding, hiding data within video. Um, and so they actually were able to encode meaningful amounts of data into like a video that was then uploaded into YouTube and um, they could then recover that, that video. And so it was an interesting way of just using a, uh, a video hosting service like YouTube um, to store arbitrary data, which hmm. isn't, isn't particularly um, revolutionary. I mean, there's there's nothing sort of magic about what they're doing. It was just an interesting little proof of concept. Yeah. And then, you have to imagine, I mean, I guess there are people already doing watermarking type things, but. Right. Um, and it's, you know, not like it, it, it it's not, I, I suppose it, I, I should correct myself because it's not steganography because there's not actual meaningful video there. It's just data storage. Oh, it's um, not. So you can't yeah. put it in regular video. No, it's just, you know, it's a playable video file that YouTube isn't going to that is throw static, a fit about, but it's basically it's yeah, essentially static um, oh, okay. and it's static that can survive through YouTube's compression and everything, but sure. It's big dots. Yeah. So, interesting. Yeah, an interesting idea, but um, not useful for actual stuff. No. So, anywho, um, next week, WWDC, hit us up if you're going to be out there. We'll be around at all the different things um, in our fancy suits. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Or yeah. in suits all week? Yeah. Tuxes? How about tuxes? Oh, that's a good idea. You could be those guys who are in tuxes. Oh boy, no. We need more swag, more divergent gear. I want uh, sweaters. Sweaters. Like embroidered with the clip wrap logo. <laughs> you want, you want like, like bad Christmas sweaters, yeah. but for our company. Yeah. I I don't know if you know this about me, but I am actually not air, but could have been heir to a sweater empire. I did not know that. You know, um, the, you know, the really crazy, like, um, rich guy, annoying looking sweaters, not the, so there's two companies that do them. There's the one that begins with a Z, which is like the Bill Cosby sweater. Okay. And there's another one, which is like 1980s glitch art. <laughs> and that company is called Stitchcraft, and that is the friend, like the best friend of my grandpa, and the two of them started another knitting mill called Winona Knitting Mill together before the Stitchcraft guy went off and did his thing. Um, but yeah, they had like they made sweaters. Wait, aren't they the guys who Winona make, knits? They make Romney sweaters, right? The ones with like the Stitchcraft is probably Romney, yeah. 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 Okay. But Winona Knits did like, they had like outlet stores all around the country and like tourist traps and they were like nice sweaters. Huh. They had a loon on the tank. Okay. They were like a big deal. 
So had your life gone a different direction? Like pennies and stuff. You could have been. I could have, but no one, none of, none of my grandpa's kids wanted the company. And so it got sold to like two uncles and the uncles like strip mined it. Huh. See, so no, no divergent sweaters is what you're saying. I'm saying we might be able to get some like, I can like maybe make some calls and get us some like crazy ass sweaters with our logo in them, but, but they will. Yeah. They're going to look like weird, rich old guy sweaters. They're going to be very like old money crazy. Yeah. That's what I want. I Okay. Okay. Do you remember Bill Cosby sweaters? Yeah. Okay. They're going to be like that. Kind All right. I'm, all, I'm on board. Okay. All right. Well, see what look, I can look for the guys wearing the awesome sweaters next week. Yeah, totally. I can get those turned around. It's just, it's, they're like 3D printed now or something. Yes, they are. All right. We'll see you. Well, I'll see you in a couple of days. Um, and we will podcast again sometime. Much sooner than the last time. Yes. Bye. We promise.